Hello and welcome to the Party Game Show. I'm your host, Andrew King, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Colton Burge. Hey, 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 Andrew K. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm feeling a little rusty. It has been a while since our last episode of uh, the Party Game Show, but I am ready to uh, to get into it tonight. Uh, we have a special guest joining us. Uh, she has been working in games for nearly a decade, and at that time, she has been a Twitch streamer, podcast host, Game Informer intern, Godzilla stan, and freelance writer and editor, Jack Gardner. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Hello, everybody. Hi. So, uh, for people that may not uh, know you very well, do you want to just walk through maybe where they might know your work or where they can find you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm a little choked up. Oh, you're good. Uh, <laughs> both from dinner, but also from that excellent intro. Uh, I, uh, I, I got my start writing for Game Informer way back in the day. I, I wrote in their blogging section, and then I became an intern. And then from there, I went on. I've written for Official Xbox Magazine, uh, Fan Bites, uh, basically most of the larger news sites. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, kind of moonlit on and uh i mainly have been writing for extra life for like the past seven years mm -hmm. uh covering games and uh talking and writing about games um and uh yeah so that that's probably where most people in the gaming world would be familiar with my work but i've also um i've i've also worked on tabletop games mm. um just this past year, I edited a, a tabletop uh, like RPG rulebook that's going to be coming out pretty soon, um, and I work as a world builder on an upcoming uh, tabletop RPG as well. Oh, very so, cool! I didn't know any of that. Uh, I didn't know that you were doing any of that. You also <laughs> you also do a uh, a pair of podcasts, right? I yeah, I, I've done all, all a lot of podcasts. <laughs> Um, one of the, the longest running ones is Best Games, period. Uh, but I also have a uh, Sailor Moon uh, watch-along podcast called uh, A Podcast by Moonlight. Mm. Um, I also did a tabletop RPG podcast called um, We Wanted Adventurers. Mm. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, I've done a lot of a lot of this stuff for a long time yes yeah, so you've been in um, you've been you know writing about games podcasting about games for you know a while for a long time for sure um i'm, I'm old <laughs> now i wasn't saying that i just think it's, it is impressive <laughs> that you have been you know doing all this since 2012 um and we have been doing this podcast uh a celeste retrospective podcast for uh a few months now and we are all the way up to our finale this is on wow. uh, chapter seven. Yeah, we will still have bonus episodes on chapters eight and nine and the Pico 8 games and Celeste speedrunning scene that'll be coming out throughout the rest of the summer. Uh, but this is the last of our podcast on the main games. And uh, Jack, since we have you here, I was hoping that I could ask you about your uh, your history with the game. Can you talk us about when you first uh, found Celeste or when you first played it? Was it back in 2018? Uh, so... N yes and no okay. because I, I remember back in 2018 it was kind of like 
this this little indie game that just slowly was gaining more and more buzz and then finally exploded. Yeah. Um, but one of the big things that was really interesting to me was just that um, it seemed that the people I was encountering who had played it were, um, how, do, how do I put this? Like, kept, kept talking about how it was like, not just a normal platformer. It wasn't like your um, like a super meat boy. Right. Like it was really hard, but it had more going on underneath the surface. Yeah. Um, than Super Meat Boy did, uh, at least when it comes to like storytelling, mm-hmm. which I found I like that. That's my big passion in games is like sto- how how games tell stories. Yeah. And um, so I I picked it up right away. Yeah. Like I I, I bought the game. But because I work in games, and this is just kind of the nature of the beast, you don't wind up with a lot of time to actually play the games that you want to play. Right. So it just kind of sat on my Switch for literally years Mm. (laughs) until you invited me to be on this podcast. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Um, I had only played the first uh, chapter, but I was like, hell yeah, I want to I want to be I want to be on this podcast so I actually have an excuse to finally play Celeste yeah. and uh, so I sat down and uh, played through the entire thing basically in one or two sessions oh, it wow. was like a long marathon kind of thing Yeah, and uh, it just kind of blew blew me away it was it, it's it's really it's really beautiful yeah. and like I, I I cried yeah wow that's so cool I had no idea that that uh this was your first time playing it all the way through. See, I'll let you in on a little secret. The way that I, you know, found people for the show was, you know, going back and seeing who that I knew in the game space had, like, tweeted enthusiastically about Celeste back in, you know, like, 2018 when it came out. Mm-hmm. And so you must have, like, you know, put out a tweet based on, you know, you wanted to play it or, you know, the little bit that you did play it. And so that was how I, you know found you for that but i'm glad that you know being on the podcast was your impetus to finally go and play it all the way through what was the what were the like story beats that really really hit you this time honestly it's a lot of it is the uh like the relationship between uh like the the main character and like the shadow version um and that i i don't know that that strikes home to me as like a a trans person because Mm -hmm. like that's that's something that i deal with a lot yeah (laughs) like all like that that specific relationship i i deal with that quite a bit yeah um between like uh dysphoria and like um kind of uh depression anxiety stuff like that and it that's really interesting to me and uh, i i think it's it's one of those things that especially in chapter six really takes center stage yeah uh but then chapter seven is kind of a lot of what happened like dealing with what happens after the recognition of dysphoria which is what i find really interesting because this this isn't necessarily a game about like triumphing long term Mm -hmm. it's it's about conquering a specific problem and then you know life life continues after that right and that i i find that very interesting yeah the game sort of has the arc that i don't know if either of y'all went to like church camp growing up 
but like oh i was i was i was a bible camp counselor. okay yeah 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 so you you know you know about like you know thursday night or friday night when everybody is around the campfire and saying how they're going to be different when they go home and then you know that's just a week of your life and you go home back to your normal life and like so yep. like that that feeling of like oh i'm gonna everything is going to be different from now on is like built into uh celeste you know and i hope that like there is like I hope that Madeline, you know, really does, is able to maintain like a healthier relationship with this part of her going forward. But it also is like, you know, I think for most people there is like, we think that we come to some sort of, you know, revelation about like uh, who we are and things are going to be different from now on. But then you get off of the mountain and it's like, okay, now we have to do the work to actually make this thing stick in some way. Yeah. And I, I don't know. We'll, we'll probably get it more into this later, but uh, chapter, chapter seven just really resonated with me, like in a, in a deep way. Cause it kind of, it kind of reflects where I am in my life yeah. um, in a lot of ways. And, um, yeah, it, it it is it is yeah, I, I think the the comparison to like a church uh you know campfire like resolution or, uh, or a New Year's resolution, I think that's really apt. Yeah. Um and I don't mean to like undercut it by making that comparison because I think yeah. like it obviously is a very important moment for Madeline. It, but then it is like, you know, how does that resolution or how does that revelation about who you are like go back with you into your regular life, which I think is the interesting thing about the fact that like the game, you know, ends with them still on the mountain. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Do do you ever really escape the mountain? Right. And I think like, you know, I would be interested to see what life is like for Madeline off the mountain, which I haven't played all of the DLC all the way through. That's something I'll get to when we, you know, do those chapter eight and nine podcasts down the road. But like in nothing in the main game, do we ever see Madeline not on this mountain? So it's, I, I'm curious, you know, just because this is where the narrative cuts off. Like, what would she be like? What would this relationship with herself look like outside of the context of this, you know, sort of, you know, baptism by fire that the mountain represents for her? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, chapter six, which you alluded to, is, like, Madeline hitting her lowest point, right? So it is, it, it, like, as the player, we are also hitting our lowest point because we are, we are losing all the progress that we've made. We're falling back to the bottom of the mountain. Uh, and then chapter seven is her journey through the short inversions of the previous levels that we've gone through until she reaches the peak. And so we're going through these, you know, challenging uh, platforming bits until we get there. Um, before we dig too deep on like the themes of what's happening in this chapter, did either of y'all have a favorite section uh, to revisit during the chapter seven climb back up? Honestly, my my favorite section to revisit was probably the um, like the the, I, the for lack of a better term, the bubble section. Mm. Like uh, I don't know, there there was just there's just something really fun about zooming through a level like that right. without without having to necessarily worry about like precise platforming yeah it's like one of the few sections in the game where you can just kind of like relax for like half a second yes i think that is why that point that part is so great is because you're going really fast but you also know that you can't 
go off of the path that you're on. You know, you can't get hit by spikes or anything. You are, like, safe and also going super fast, which is really fun. Colton, did you start to say something? Yeah. Uh, for me, I would say the Golden Ridge section was my favorite to revisit. Mm. Uh, I liked being able to double dash against the wind. Yeah. It made me feel a lot more powerful than I did when I played that section uh, in the actual chapter. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, that is the one where having the double dash probably makes the biggest difference because you can get slightly more, uh, you know, purchased against the wind when you have that extra dash. Mm -hmm. I really like the jello uh, section. I don't know what oh, yeah, you would yeah, actually yeah. call it, but the, the one that is like the same mechanics from chapter two where you're going through like the star blocks and it makes like the zhuzhing noise as you go through, like a like this like squilt squishy noise as you go through. I think that one is super fun. That's like, that's still my favorite. Uh, even after playing all the way through the game again, that's my favorite uh, mechanic for sure. It just feels very good to boost through those blocks. Yeah, those are super dope. Yeah. So you you this this starts off with you at the bottom and you and Battleline or the part of you. You guys, y'all are working together to uh, to climb up, um, and you're going through the chapter six environments. Uh, so the same as the ones from last level, and those end with you bursting into this purple orb, and then you know you and Battleline, um, you know, come together and are able to boost each other further together. Um, when that is over, you get a text box that says 500 meters, and that's sort of counting up and up and up as you. Um, you know, go throughout the the rest of this level. That's something that I really like about this level. Like, in these parts, as we're going back through the sections that we've already played, you know, uh, you know, small slices of, of what we've already played, um, I like that it has that meter that's counting up. And then when you get to the top of the mountain, it counts down because it starts with, like, 26 and then goes back down to 1 when you're at the top of the mountain. So it gives the the level this great sense of uh, building and like tension that you are, you know, as you're working through those numbers, you're getting closer and closer and closer to the peak. Yeah, like the, there's this real sense of momentum mm -hmm. um, that isn't necessarily, I mean, I, I don't want to say that like Celeste lacks that sense of momentum yeah. or progression uh, because it, it doesn't. I, I just mean like this level really embodies that to a T and it makes it really exciting, especially empowered with like the additional uh dash ability yeah mm -hmm. um there there's just something really fun about being able to more easily overcome the challenges uh that you had previously struggled with yeah i i like that at the end of each of the challenges you get that segment where so or where madeline and the part of you are talking to each other um because like a, it's just good like character development that is showing how their what their relationship is going to look like now that they are no longer like being adversarial with each other and are learning how to work together. And it just it works as like a nice reward too. At the end of like a tough platforming section, you get this bet where you get to see okay, how are these two like going to relate to each other now? And I think it works really well as sort of a a reward and also like a break in the tension. You know, you're going through these super challenging platforming sections and then you get this little this little scene that helps to break those up. Right, and I think those uh, sections actually help to reframe uh, not only Madeline's 
relationship with Badeline, but the players as well. Yeah. Uh, because when you see Badeline before, like in the whole rest of the game, it's like, ugh, this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but when you get to her at the end of each segment in this chapter, it's a relief. Yeah. Uh, and she's there to help you, and you feel more positive about her as a player. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it does... Yeah, previously in the game, anytime that you see battle and it's like, oh, this is going to be really hard because those are some of the hardest sections, the sections where she's chasing you or you're chasing after her. Mm -hmm. But this, it does it does recontextualize it where it's like a, almost like a Dark Souls bonfire or something where it's like, okay, now I'm safe for a minute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, they have some really great lines back and forth uh, with each other. One of, my, one of the ones I wrote down is... Um, Madeline saying, no matter what happens, I'll be right there with you. And Madeline uh, saying, you know what's really scary? I'm starting to believe you, which I think is I think is fun. I think like we get these really great vignette pictures of what their relationship is like now or what it could be like. Uh, yeah, yeah. What it, what it could be like, I think, is like the a really good way of phrasing it. My favorite line is when Madeline says, well, look at you, Miss Positivity. Yeah, to Badeline. right. Yeah, it's just so cute. And then Badeline says, "Don't push your luck." Yes, that's very <laughs> fun. Um, so yeah, you make your way up. You get the Jello blocks. You get the hotel. I think the hotel is interesting because it, um, you know, gives them a chance to sort of rehash one of their, um, you know, previous confrontations, which is how they treated Mister Oshiro. That Madeline wanted to treat him. You know, wanted to help him in battle and got sick of his shit and was like, you know, went off on him. Yeah. And so, you know, they have their debate about whether they should have been nice to Mr. O'Shea or whether they shouldn't have. Um, and then Badeline apologizes for snapping at Mr. O'Shea and being too aggressive. So I think they're both, you know, warning to like, obviously, they're not having these conversations at all unless Madeline comes to see that... Um, you know, that she needs battling or the battling is part of her that is, um, you know, that she has to come to terms with. But then it also is helpful to have these moments where battling is saying, okay, this is the reason that I, um, you know, this is what I can learn from Madeline, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did any gameplay stuff stick out uh, to y'all as we're going up the, the mountain, the next one that we hit is the after the hotel is the golden ridge and colton you said that was your favorite one to revisit right yeah yeah that's because you have that, that that uh second dash but did anything stick out to you specifically in that level or jack were there any um any more of these bits that stuck out to you as we got to the top there was one strawberry that took me forever to get and it was in an auto scroller section mm. uh where you had to uh, oh, yeah. that one. dash onto the side of an auto-scrolling block to grab onto it, and then that would carry you into a diamond that would refresh your dashes. Then you'd have to dash up through these spikes, get the strawberry, dash to the right, grab onto the uh, side of it again. Uh, I found that section extremely, extremely challenging, but when I beat it, it was... It was like beating a Dark Souls boss. Mm. Was that was that in Golden Ridge? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember if I did that. I part of it. I I was actually sort of <laughs> impressed with myself playing back through it today. How much I had gotten last time I played through this a few weeks ago. 
Mm. So, uh, you know, maybe I got that one. And a couple of weeks ago, Andrew was more impressive than today, Andrew. I think that's definitely possible. Um, Jack, did you have any that, that stuck out? Any moments like that? Uh, honestly, just revisiting the... Um, I, I'm not sure if this... I, I don't think this was in the Golden Ridge section. It was the... Um, like the the bumpers yeah i you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah um those like i i don't know what it was but they they were like the hardest thing for me in Mm. the entire in the entire game just struggling (laughs) with these bumpers and trying to get through them and uh there was just something really gratifying about being able to overcome those is that the one where they i think is that in golden ridge where they're like the like flying towards you on the wind and you have to bounce off of them or is it something else? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, uh, on, on top of that, just, uh, kind of to, to build off of a previous point you guys made, uh, like the, um, the, the there's this overwhelming sense of catharsis mm-hmm. and healing mm-hmm. as they directly talk about the things that they did before. And one of the things that I found interesting about the Mr. Oshiro, uh, like the, the hotel, uh, section is that Madeline also recognizes that you know she she's at fault there too because she would have stayed in the hotel almost indefinitely because you know she's too nice right. to say anything yeah mm-hmm. and um, this kind of recognition that both these parts of her are necessary and having to kind of um, like reconcile together. Uh, I uh, the, just this sense of like realizing that these these two halves are necessary to create like a really functional whole. Yeah, I think is really important. Yeah, it is definitely like a tightrope. It seems like because it's like Madeline, if she just you know leans all the way into her empathy, like you said, she'd be there forever. And it's like Mr. Oshiro comes out at the end of his you know like in the epilogue. You know, spoilers like down at the in the the cabin when they meet at the cabin and Madeline is baking the strawberry pie for everybody Mr. Oshiro shows up and the old woman says that it's the first time she's ever seen him outside of his hotel so it's like is that because of you know Madeline's tough love you know like if if Madeline had tried to just empathy her way out of that like would he ever have you know gone out of his hotel so yeah it is like there is it seems like there's definitely a line to walk between the empathy that we see from Madeline and like the harshness that we get from um, Madeline most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, the Golden Ridge section was the hardest part of for me. You know, revisiting this today, just because I have a really hard time with the wind at some at certain times, like gauging how much uh, how far I can get with one of the. The dashes, but, you know, Jack, you said this was, like, the hardest part for you. And, Colton, you said you had an extremely hard time getting that strawberry. This was also a very hard part for me. And definitely the hardest part of Chapter 7 was just getting through the Golden Ridge, which surprised me because I didn't remember it being especially difficult last time I played this. Um, So, eventually, you get to 3,000 meters, which is, from there on out, you're going uh, to the top. Um... Did y'all have any thoughts on on these little uh, segments? I like that they have the the confetti when you reach a new number. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it 
the little the little celebrations every time you make a new like t- like it sometimes it feels like a really tiny uh you know accomplishment but like i don't know it's nice to be acknowledged a little bit right you know? yeah especially because like these aren't really any longer than like any of the sections you've had be- between checkpoints before but it is like new that you're getting some sort of recognition for getting through it I definitely like I like that there is that, you know, celebratory little note each time. Yeah. I forgot to I forgot to mention um before you get to this part, there's a conversation where Madeline says I wish I had tried to understand you sooner and we wasted so much time and energy. And mm-hmm. um Madeline even says that she would be okay with not making it to the top of the mountain because she's glad that they were able mm-hmm. to, you know, mm-hmm. fix the relationship, which I think is a super, you know, important moment in those characters relationships i think i feel like the the way up to the top is like constant you know really important moments for these two characters it's like you are having this you know arc of them wanting to care about each other in the space of just those those little cutscenes in between so it is they're, right. they're packing a lot in i think that uh specific moment uh, relates to something that my screenwriting professor told me in screenwriting class. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is that, like, when you start uh, the movie, the character's going after something they want. Mm-hmm. But, like, as the movie goes, they discover what they really need. Yeah. And so Madeline, you know, she, at the beginning, she just wanted to climb the mountain. Mm-hmm. But she discovered that she needed to reconcile with this part of herself. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the mountain is like the device that is revealing this to her, right? And that is like we yeah. we see that most clearly in chapter five in the mirror temple when, you know, she is seeing the part of her in the mirror, and Theo is seeing, you know, that these eyes are coming after him basically, like, and he's stuck in a like, like you know, this crystal box so that you know people can see into him, but he can't escape from it. So it's like we have them, you know, realizing who they are on a deep level that only the mountain is able to reveal to them. So in that way, it's a really great, like, storytelling device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's sort of paced like a racehorse from here on out. Like, I feel like once you get to the the um, the flags, at least for me, once you got to the, like, the flags at the top, it was going very quickly from there. Did y'all have the same experience? Yeah, yeah. For the most part. It's interesting because this is like the only time in the game where you're platforming straight up for this long. Like there is some horizontal movement, but most of it is like you going up more than you've ever had to before. But I don't feel like it really feels like it changes the dynamic of the, the game all that much. Like I don't feel like the mechanics feel all that different, but it does, you know, recontextualize like, oh, you're really making progress now in a way you haven't before. Well, and it's also interesting because the only reason it's possible to make that much vertical progress is because you have that double dash. If you didn't have it, it would not be possible to actually complete these sections, which, I mean, that that seems like a duh kind of yeah. thing. But, like, it's a nice reflection of kind of the, the themes. Right. Um, present towards the end yeah it's like if a metroidvania if in order to unlock a door in a metroidvania you had to understand yourself better (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 so yeah you reach the the top um and this conversation this ongoing conversation between madeline and badeline um sort of you know comes to a conclusion and we get a little bit of lore which is madeline saying that 
when she goes off the mountain, she won't have Badalyn with her anymore, which makes sense. It just is not something that I had thought about until she said it. Had y'all thought about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I, I feel like a lot of the game is, um, I did, in one of the earlier chapters, didn't they talk about how like the the mountain was wasn't real? Yeah, they definitely. Yeah, yeah, they definitely talk about like the mountain bringing out things that you know wouldn't be there otherwise or like seeing things on the mountain that you wouldn't see normally yeah yeah they definitely talk about that it it just kind of seemed like yeah i mean th- this all kind of seems to fit together pretty pretty naturally in a way and uh i don't know it, it's really it's really just kind of nice <laughs> i yeah. guess it's it's, yeah. a, it's a nice warm fuzzy moment yeah and i think a lot of games would have like I don't know. I always feel like games are like extend out for another hour at least longer than they should be. And so like having this end when you reach the mountain, there's no tricks, you know, it just is like you reach the mountain. That was the goal all along. And then you sit there and enjoy being at the top of the mountain. I think that is like a nice, simple way for the game to end. Yeah. Another game would probably have a whole chapter devoted to this conflict of battle and being like, no, you can't, you can't reach the summit. You can't leave the mountain because then I'll disappear. Yeah, I definitely think that's possible, yeah. One thing that I thought was very interesting is that, and I think this speaks to like the idea that it, the mountain is like, you know, showing Madeline what she needs to see but might not actually be there. When you hit the chapter complete postcard that shows up after you reach the top of the mountain, you see Madeline sitting there on the mountain but Badalyn is not there. So it's like in the pixel form, you are seeing both of them together, but then we get this postcard and it's just Madeline by herself, which I thought was like an interesting juxtaposition of like how we are seeing it as the player and how like this other, you know, maybe more objective view, who knows, like is presenting it in a different way. So, so here, here's a question. What do you, what do you two think the mountain is? Like what, what does it represent? Um, the mountain just represents like a goal, I think. Yeah. Like having a goal in your life mm-hmm. that you're trying to reach. And I don't mean like a long-term goal, more like a very specific short-term thing that's gonna be hard mm-hmm. uh, and is going to like reveal something about yourself. Yeah, it does seem like it has to be, I don't know, yeah, it has to be self-directed in some way. Your relationship to the mountain has to be self-directed in some way. And so I think like saying Mm -hmm. that it's a goal fits because like Madeline didn't stumble onto the mountain and Theo didn't like get there by accident. Both of them like chose to do this. You know, it seems like the mountain is like a hard thing for you to do that will teach you things about yourself, you know? And I think like you can see like, Oh, the mountain can represent anxiety or depression or like being trans. Like there's a lot of things that you can read into like Madeline's journey and like her mental health. Um, But I think, yeah, you can zoom out and just see it as this is the thing that I want to do for myself because it will make me a better person by revealing something about who I am deep down, I guess. Yeah. Did you have did you have an answer in mind, Jack? Oh well, so like kind of I the the personal interpretation that I had was just kind of like, um, and I I I don't know maybe this because this was developed by uh, Matt Thorsten, right? Mm-hmm. 
um, and they're non-binary. Uh, right. And mm-hmm. so it, it, it seemed like a, kind of a trans, a trans narrative mapped really, really nicely on top of this, like this idea that, um, you know, in order to cope with uh, the world as it is, um, a lot of trans people need to build up coping mechanisms to mm. kind of like help them get through life. Um, and those coping mechanisms can turn into, uh, things that hurt, hurt you. Uh, Mm. they can, Mm -hmm. they can become negatives and, um, they can often be driven by fear, but the underlying, like the, the underlying reason they exist in the first place is to protect you and to be able to like, make sure that you're able to function and survive. And, um, I think that like especially early in Madeline's journey like um there's this uh kind of feeling that um she doesn't want to recognize that Madeline exists yeah um and she wants to be able to cut Madeline out of her life she doesn't mm-hmm. want to deal with her anymore and that's something that persists like like right up until like chapter six really right yeah and um it it kind of comes down to um this this idea that um in order to kind of move on with a like transition you need to like destroy your coping mechanisms and like get Mm. rid of all of those because they're they're bad they're what make you feel bad they're what they're what's holding you back yeah and um this this idea being that like no actually like the underlying ethos for for them even though the behaviors or uh mental thought processes might be negative and might hurt you the underlying Mm -hmm. reason that they exist is to help you and so kind of accepting that at Mm -hmm. in 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 chapter seven um is Mm -hmm. what allows her to kind of finally have the conversation with herself that she's always needed to have to be honest with herself and to uh be able to move on uh with kind of the with the with the uh caveat of now being like a full person that's not divided against themselves yeah jack could you give an example of like what a coping mechanism that like a trans person might use to deal with dysphoria might be or look like yeah 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 yeah. like um for me for example it was uh before before i recognized that i was a trans person I would dissociate for like 12 hours at a time. So like, (laughs) um, and what that looked like for me was, oh, I just really like playing video games. That's why I spent Mm, 12 hours playing League of Legends. And uh, that's, you know, I, I, you know, that, that's, that's, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I, I really like this. I mean, it's, it's my professional duty after all. I do work in video Mm. games. Yeah. And, like that being a coping mechanism so that I didn't have to think about being trans because that that's, it's, it's scary to think about. It's scary. You don't Mm want to have to like deal with that. And, um, 
so that that was like that that's an example of one of mine and so the underlying ethos to protect yourself isn't bad and like the the underlying ethos of being like you know skeptical of over um of over overly generous overly uh or people who prey on your goodwill that's also Mm -hmm. not bad um but you need to be like you know you you can't let that be an excuse for behavior that's ultimately destructive to yourself or to other people and i think that's that's something that um chapter seven is really uh really touches on in a in a pretty interesting way Mm, yeah right and i think that actually ties in beautifully with chapter six Mm -hmm. where the old lady tells madeline that Badlin uh, is actually scared. Mm. Yeah, like if yeah. you think of Badlin as like these coping mechanisms developed like to protect you out of fear, like that makes total sense. Yeah, is that the moment that? Because at some point in chapter six, Madeline is talking to Badlin and says, "I get it now. I have to cut you out of my life." Like that is her revelation, and then she realizes over the course of chapter six that that it was wrong. Is that before or after she has that conversation with the old lady? Do you remember? That is before. Okay, and then she falls down to the base and sees the old lady? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's super interesting, y'all. Also, I, I, I just real quick, I want to like give a big shout-out to Celeste for just having really like um, efficient writing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I, I, we don't get to talk about that often in video games, I, I mm. think. But uh, <laughs> it, it's just really interesting and cool how uh, Celeste manages to do like so much in so little time when it comes to like characters and story, um, and like e- even like bringing the like um, I I don't know what the term is like the uh, the splash art for the characters in like their conversation bubbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the like the portrait art. Yeah, portrait right? art. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like bringing that alive and using that to its fullest like possible extent. Um, I just throughout the game, it, it's marvelous, and it's something I really wanted to just kind of give a shout out to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is really great, and like the the voice noises that the that go along with the um, mm-hmm. character speaking. Like when Madeline gets scared, her voice gets like squeaky, and like the the noises that they use for the voices pair really well with the with the characters. And I think we've talked about this before, and it's not like a a new thing. Like I think of like Banjo Kazooie doing like similar things <laughs> on the the N sixty four and like Splatoon. Yeah. It's just the, like this is I think like when I think of Banjo Kazooie I think of like it's funny and also I kind of wish I could turn it off because it gets obnoxious after a while and like in Celeste I never felt that way I just felt like it was like effective efficient like you said mm-hmm. Jack mm-hmm. characterization through the writing and through like the sound that they use as well. So I think that is the end of Celeste. Do y'all have any thoughts on Celeste as a whole? I mean Colton you you know, you played the game in 2018 and you played it again now. Like, do you feel like your opinion has changed at, now that we've finished revisiting it? Uh, yeah, my opinion has definitely changed. I uh, think it's an 11 out of 10 now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it is a game that is just like, I, like 
you know the the bar for me for platformers is typically like super mario world like that colorful amazing score um you know perfect mechanics but this has all of that plus a really effective narrative and yep. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't expecting that um, as as much as uh, it actually managed to deliver. So I like the, to me this might be like the perfect platformer that currently exists, like the most perfect. Yeah, absolutely, one. yeah, yeah. It is. It it's it's hard to find any. I think I keep thinking back to um, what Heather Alexandra said about this game, which is when she reviewed it at Kotaku, it was the only game that she had no flaws for, no no marks against it. And I think, like, as we played it, I am in a similar position where I can't think of anything that this game does badly, you know? It, it's like everything is really good, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, it's not just that it doesn't do anything badly, it's that, like, the platforming is incredible. The score is incredible. The story is really, really great and moving. You know, it does all of that stuff really, really well and doesn't really have like a weak spot. Yeah. So Jack, um, you said that like the game, um, you know, made you emotional playing it this time through. Did you have like a specific spot that you had in mind that really stuck out to you this time going, going through the game? For me, it was uh, kind of the the one two punch of chapter six and seven. Like you have you have your character br- being brought to the lowest moment, both like li- literally and emotionally. And yeah. uh, on on top of that, you have um, this incredible sense of catharsis that is baked into like the gameplay mechanics. Um, from and again, we we touched on this throughout uh, the this podcast, but like the uh, like from the way the flags kind of line the path to uh, the summit, to the way that um, you get this new mechanic that allows you to breeze through the previous sections of the game and overcome their mechanics with um, relative ease. Uh, yeah like all of this kind of comes together in this beautiful just kind of moment and it, it's it's not just limited to the storytelling scenes it is um kind of stretched and made bigger than that through the gameplay and the presentation and that's something that very few games um have been able to pull off successfully and so it's honestly like as somebody who like plays games for a living and reviews them and talks about them a lot like i like trust me when i say that this is like so rare and Mm -hmm. when a game can do that it it's really beautiful to me on so many different levels and just getting to the summit i i was like in i was in tears (laughs) like it's it's just so good well that is i think you know a great place for us to to end this, you know, main chunk of our, our podcast series on Celeste on, uh, and you know, a, a tip of the cap to Maddie Thorson and the whole team at extremely okay games for making, you know, a, a platform that is still extremely good. Now, three years later when we're revisiting it, just as good as it was, you know, back in 2018, if not better. Um, Oh, did they, did they change their name? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I feel like such an ass now. Oh, it's, I, I, uh, I think it is all right because I think the name is still 
the old name in the credits. Yeah, it is. But yeah, they they go by Manny Thorson now. Hell yeah. Congrats. Um, yeah, and uh, congrats to us on getting through uh, Celeste. A challenging game, but a worthwhile one to play through. Uh, Colton and I will be continuing uh, the podcast this summer. We're going to be um, starting a new series soon. We'll have more information on that uh, in the next week or two, probably. Uh, Jack, thank you for joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you on the, the podcast. Yeah, um, thank you for inviting me. This has been sure. so much fun. Yeah, and I'm glad that we gave you that, you know, the 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 boost you needed to go back and, and play Celeste. Yeah, thank you so much. Of course. Um, and uh, if people want to find you on the internet, where can they do that? You can find me over on twitter.com slash riverboatjack. And uh, I also stream every weeknight on twitch.tv about lefty politics. Nice. Um, so you can find me over there at twitch.tv slash riverboatjack. Are you basically riverboatjack everywhere? Uh, for the most part, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. So look for Remote Jack wherever content is sold. <laughs> uh, Colton, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at LazyAceDia. And you can find my video editing work at React to the K. We uh, do K-pop reaction videos from a classical music perspective. Hell yeah. Super exciting. I can't wait to see you work all the way through Beethoven's discography. I'm, so, mm. I'm sorry. That was an unusual thing to say. <laughs> Beethoven. <laughs> Beethoven. Uh, maybe we can uh, examine BTS's discography through like the lens of Beethoven. See, Beethoven's discography was, was uh, slightly trending on Twitter today. That, that phrase, Beethoven's discography. <laughs> so it, it gave me a case of brain worms that I gave to you too as well. Um, okay, I forgive you. Yes. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at FunnelChest94. Um, and Twitter is the main place that I am on social media, but you can find my writing at GameSpot mostly. Um, I do some guides for Polygon, so you can look for me there as well, but mostly at GameSpot lately. Um, and for Colton, for Jack, this has been Reflection, a Celeste retrospective podcast from the Party Game Show. Until next time, party on. Bye-bye.